You're listening to the Common Descent Podcast. Hello, Will. Hello, David. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Silver Screen Science. We're back. Back for 2021. It has been some time since our last Silver Screen Science episode, the series where we talk about science in movies. Long-term listeners of the podcast may remember back in 2019, we did a Silver Screen Science series, which we called Kaijun. Yeah. Which was about kaiju, giant monsters, specifically, mostly, King Kong and Godzilla. Mm Mm-hmm. In light of there being a bunch of new King Kong and Godzilla movies. Yes. Well, March just ended, and with that came the release of a movie with both of those monsters in it. Convenience. Godzilla vs. Kong. The first time those two monsters have been in the same movie in, like, 50 years. Yep. 60 years. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we are back for a one-off follow-up episode of Silver Screen Science to discuss... Godzilla vs. Kong, released in 2021 by Legendary Pictures, directed uh, by Adam Wingard. We're going to talk about what we usually talk about with Silver Screen Science, not just nitpicking what science did they get wrong, what did they get right, but talking about how they portray science and scientists, how science from the real world looks by the time the movie is done with their version of it. Yeah, scientific representation in the film. Yes. How does where does this film fit in that broad intersection between pop culture and science? Now, we had a fun little movie night to watch this movie. We got a couple of other vaccinated friends together to watch it on HBO Max, and as part of our movie night, we also watched King Kong vs. Godzilla. The original. The original from 1962 from Toho Studios directed by Ishiro Honda. Now, that movie, there's not a ton to talk about in terms of our normal silver screen science topics. Yes. But we did watch it, and there are a couple of fun things, so we will also mention that movie over the course of this discussion today. There'll be some King Kong vs. Godzilla caveats here and there. Yeah, little, little, (laughs) little extra bits and pieces. So like our normal setup, we're going to talk about the creatures in the movie, since that's our whole shtick. Yep. The science that comes up, and how they portray scientists. Before we get any further into our discussion, this is the official spoiler warning. Big ol' spoiler warning. We are going to be talking about plot details from both Godzilla vs. Kong, which just came out, and King Kong vs. Godzilla, which you've had 60 years to watch. But but I also don't blame you if you haven't seen it. Right. Uh, Also, there will very likely be mention of... Kong Skull Island and Godzilla yeah, King of the Monsters. The rest of the MonsterVerse. The whole, the current legendary MonsterVerse. If we covered it in Kaijun, there's a chance it might get a mention here. So, spoiler warning all around, be aware. Now, let's start talking about this movie. Godzilla vs. Kong. Will, would you like to give us a synopsis? Happily. So, this movie picks up a little bit after Godzilla King of the Monsters, where Godzilla has established himself as the apex titan, But it is revealed that Kong is the remaining contender for that title. And whilst they are having difficulties with Godzilla, they are trying to use Kong to basically change the power dynamic in the world and figure out a way to handle the Titans. And in a number of kind of crazy plot lines, they are trying to get Kong to the center of the Earth to find a power source so that they can fight Godzilla. Kong finds a power source to fight Godzilla and then does that. Yep. <laughs> and and that is that's the driving plot of of the film. Yeah, and then there's big monsters and they fight. Yep. And that that's really the, what you came to see. It's it's a pretty straightforward <laughs> film. Yeah. And just to have it in here, the synopsis of King Kong versus Godzilla is Godzilla gets let loose out of an iceberg. King Kong is discovered by an advertising company on King Kong's Island, Mm -hmm. who then take King Kong away for purposes related to trying to get themselves famous and get ratings. Godzilla makes it to the mainland. King Kong makes it to the mainland. And then they fight. Yep. And then they stop fighting and then they fight some more. Yes. 
The overall, not too different. Yeah, pretty much the same things happen, just one looks much prettier while it's happening. Yeah, and it's, oh, the monsters look so cool. It was cool. Now, we're not going to talk very much about the plot quality, uh, how much fun we had or did not have in the movie. For that, we will release, as is our tradition, an episode called More Thoughts over on Patreon for our patrons. So if you want to hear our personal thoughts, head over to Patreon and check that out. We're here to talk about science. Yes. So let us start where we typically start with the creatures of the films. Will, what creatures do we have in Godzilla vs. Kong? Well, we have Godzilla and Kong. That's true. Uh, right there in the title. Yep. Hard to miss those. And, and they are... And 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 we should visit those briefly. Yes, absolutely. Godzilla is a big lizardy thing. Big dinosaur-esque lizard yeah. creature. Very marine iguana-y. Yeah. In a lot of ways. It does have that. And and it's this is one of those where, as we've mentioned, but this Godzilla is not an attempt to monstrify something. Like, original Godzilla was supposed to be a dinosaur. You know, right. the, the first American Godzilla was supposed to be a lizard. Right. Turned into a monster. Yeah. Monst- literally monstrified through radiation. Right. Uh, this is an original creature, not supposed to be anything else other than Godzilla, uh, which has also allowed them to do some interesting things like giving him gills and right. stuff like that. Like he has obvious functional gills that you see when he comes out of the water here and there. And it's like, yeah, that's neither of what this could be has that because right. this is a Titan, not a, not an animal that we know. Yeah. So he doesn't really fit into that trope we often talk about of taking a normal animal and giving it movie monster Mm -hmm. features. No, he's just a movie monster. This is a monster. And arguably Kong is, although clearly a giant gorilla, also not necessarily supposed to just be a giant gorilla. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, for simple things of, typically he's standing perfectly upright. Yes. You know, there's a couple times when he runs on all fours, much more gorilla-esque, and he does swing around you know brachiate with his arms and mm-hmm. swing from stuff but other than those moments he's got pretty darn good posture for a great ape yeah i think we mentioned this when we talked about skull island mm-hmm. but what really strikes me about the portrayal of kong in this movie is that he's very anthropomorphized yes very human mm-hmm. holds things like a human walks like a human emotes a bit like a human. He sits like a human. Sits like, yeah, absolutely. There's a bunch of moments in this movie where he is in very human postures. There is a part, we gave you a spoiler warning. Yep. Where he sits on a big throne mm-hmm. with his axe. And yeah, he's like a king. Well, in it's, a... <laughs> it is like straight out of the end of Conan the Barbarian. Just yep. <laughs> sitting there bored in his throne. So he's not, Kong in a strange way is not monsterified, but humanified. Yep, which is the real monster. <laughs> uh, so yeah, neither of them really hearken much to the animals that they're obviously inspired by. Right. But like you said, Godzilla is pulling animal traits. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I thought was kind of a fun animal thing is that they talk about Godzilla having a territory. Yeah. There's mention of him patrolling his usual area and it's kind of fun that they're they're kind of implying that Godzilla has a territory and his territory is Earth. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and that he has paths that he patrols it on. So if you avoid those paths, you might be able to avoid him. Right, like a game trail. Yeah. And they do a couple of other things like Kong does beat his chest, you know, That's from time true. to time. Uh, which is something I always find funny when they do that in films because it's always a thum, thum, thum. When real life it's a... Right, it's, it's their... Like pitter pattering. Yeah. Well, it's like the only way you could, like, we could recreate it is if you cup your hands and then beat your chest with the cupped hands. It makes the the same sound that a gorilla makes. It's not a thud, it's a pop if you actually hear them beat their chests. Because it's supposed to make noise. Yeah. That's the, it's an intimidation display. But when you see some big muscly gorilla get up and then go, that's not intimidating to us. No. So we have our movie gorillas thud their chest like a bass drum. Yeah, well, because there is for them, it's come at me, bro. Yeah. Right. It's right here. Punch me in my chest yes. and I'll show you how strong I am. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll, I'll get I'll get started. Yes. I'll tenderize it for you. <laughs> so we've got Godzilla and Kong, who we've talked about a number of times at length in previous uh, films. They're very similar in King Kong versus Godzilla. Yeah, just now Kong has grown up and is 
big. But there are other creatures in this film. There are a few others. Not as many as uh, you might expect, because it is shown that most of the other titans, most of the other kaiju have been dealt with. Yes. There, uh, there are some stragglers. We get the return of the skull crawlers. We get another skull crawler. Which, very briefly. And we are shown baby skull crawlers. That's true. Yeah, they're in like the eggs. Yeah, egg, egg cases. Uh, and they have this translucent, uh, mm-hmm. if I remember right, weren't they like these? Yeah, like in a kind membrane. Of amphibian-like mm-hmm. egg cases. Yeah, which is interesting. Uh, that's that I found that interesting mostly because it's suggesting either that they are breeding skull crawlers or that they raided a skull crawler nest. Oh yeah, like, that's a good point. They got access to babies somehow. They, they're captively breeding. Yeah, these titan monsters. Mm-hmm. Boy, that brings up a lot of questions, right? doesn't it? Exactly. Can you captive breed? Mm, this is how we get uh, baby Godzilla. Yes. Yep. And then at one point we go down to the Hollow Earth. To the Hollow Earth. More on that later. <laughs> and there's a bunch more creatures down yeah, there. Yeah, there's a few cool ones. We see. We get a glimpses a whole bunch that we don't really get to see a lot of right like there's one aerial shot of a bunch of crab creatures that crawl out of the ground that, that get eaten by a big lizard creature both of which looked very cool oh awesome and i would have loved to see more of yep them. but the 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 stars when we first get to hollow earth oh yes are the flying cobra spider creatures demon cobras yes which you looked up that they had a, they have a name uh yeah so they there was um they're called Something bats, weren't they? Yeah, uh, 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 yeah. Laura looked it up, and I can't remember what their name was. That's what it was. It was something bats. It was not as cool a name as the name that I gave them, which was Demon Cobras, which is what we will be sticking with because I don't remember their (laughs) supposed real name. But they were real cool. They were really these these like stingray, like flying around like stingrays, but the hood is the wing, and it's a giant cobra. Yeah, and they continue this trend that we were just hinting at with Godzilla, where their monsters, instead of doing the movie trope thing of here's an animal, we've turned it into a monster, they're doing the other movie trope thing of picking pieces yep. from different animals that they like. Yep. So these things are snake-like in their body form. They have kind of a cobra hood, but it's also kind of a bat wing, and it's also kind of a manta ray. Yep, and it's built out of like spider legs. Yep. With webbing between them. But then they've got the big, sharp teeth. Mm -hmm. They are these modern chimeras. Yes. uh, Which is a trope going back. I I mean, it seems to me humans have been doing this for as long as we've been making pictures of animals. Is picking and choosing the parts we like and slapping them together into a made-up thing. Oh, yeah. Like, even the creatures that aren't typically called chimeras, like dragons, are chimeras. Yeah. Like, that's the neck of a snake, the body of a crocodile, the wings of a bat. Yeah, like, that's a chimera. You just didn't call it that. And that, yeah, that is a very common... And there's nothing... Like, we're not poo-pooing it. Oh, no. But it is... That is absolutely what they are, is a whole bunch of features smashed together in actually a very interesting way. Yeah, and, and that's sometimes it's weird. Yeah, because uh, well, for me, a lot of times when movies do it, it's like it looks like you literally cut a bunch of animals apart and stuck them together. Right. It's like, yeah, you you gave the front half of this animal to the back half of this animal, uh, which isn't bad, but it's obvious, at least to to me as a viewer. You know, it feels much more slapped together, literally. This one felt much more integrated in interesting ways. Like I was... I found myself fascinated by its anatomy yeah, well, while watching it, it. Looks like it functions like a creature. Yes, exactly. It had a it had a biology to it that made sense for what they had it doing. Yeah. Even its weird leggy hood was used to smother its prey, it seems. Yes. That that's instead of constricting its smothers. Which is actually really cool. Yeah. And then the other the one other creature, mm-hmm. at least that I remember is that we see the return, I believe. Kind of. Because we had something like mm-hmm. this in Skull Island, I believe, are the kind of bird bat pterosaur yep. things. Which is, I feel like is a harken because it's in the cave where Kong finds his ancestral home. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoilers again. Oh, yeah. And they're all up in the roof, which was very similar to the bat creatures in Peter Jackson's 
Kong, yep. which themselves are a reference to the to, pterosaur, to the pterosaur things in the original King Kong. Exactly. So we, we have another membrane winged uh, creature to swoop down and attack the people. And these are also chimeras. Mm-hmm. They've got bird beaks. Yeah. They've got pterosaur like They arms. look like a plucked bird, but then they have bat like wings. Yeah. And they've got bird talons, mm-hmm. which means that they manage to conveniently do the pterosaur trope. Yes. Without actually being pterosaurs. Yes. They have pterosaur wings and bird feet, which allows them to be pterosaur creatures that pick people up with their feet. Yep. In defiance of my constant uh, <laughs> ire at the fact that movies constantly have pterosaurs picking things up with their feet. Yep. No, these were these were these were pretty neat and because they gave them those bird features, I could even believe that they were some crazy weird adaptation of a bird. Sure, sure. That developed featherless wings. So we've got a bunch of creatures mm-hmm. in this movie that are fun, interesting mixtures of different things. The other creature to mention in this discussion, before we move on, is the one from King Kong versus Godzilla. Yep. Back in the 60s, where again, we have Godzilla, we have King Kong. There is an interesting line in that movie that we both noted. Yep, yep, yep. Where they talk about Kong being a real animal and Godzilla being a monster created by radiation. Yes. That Kong is natural. That Kong is supposed to be the way it is. Yes. Uh, well, Godzilla is a mistake we created by using n- nuclear weapons irresponsibly. Right. Which feeds into a couple of tropes, one of which is the mysterious, the sort of cryptid, yep. right, mysterious creature in an unexplored land of Kong, and the... Uh, uh, Fantastic Four, Incredible Hulk. Yes. Douse it with radiation and turn it into something new. Yeah. Trope with Godzilla. Absolutely. But then there's a the totally unexplained <laughs> <laughs> continuing the theme of Kong's home island being home to all sorts of weird creatures. King Kong versus Godzilla very famously features a giant octopus. Yeah. That just Not shows like up. a Pacific giant octopus. Which are, how big is a Pacific giant octopus? At max 10 feet long, typically. This is a kaiju octopus. Yeah, this is a humongous octopus. An enormous octopus that just seems to be an octopus. Yeah, it seems they, they made a bunch of miniatures and then let a small, you know, small enough to walk around on land and not flatten out like a big one would. <laughs> and you just walk over the miniatures. Yeah. So <laughs> Kong's, Kong's homeland is also home to other giant, like the giant bugs we've mm-hmm. talked about from mm-hmm. previous movies. King Kong versus Godzilla establishes that it is also home, apparently, to giant octopuses that can come up onto land. Uh, not only defying our previous conversation about how you can't have an animal that big, mm-hmm. but going even a step further and having an animal that big without any bones. Yes. Or any form of skeleton. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it, it shows up, it gets stuff thrown at it, it face huggers Kong for a bit. Yep. And then that's about it. It also does the uh, monstery trait of making lots of noises. Yeah, it is making... It's a lot of... Yep. Squishy, squ- moving noises. Which is one of those where... Is very much for the movie. Like, that's definitely a choice made to make it interesting for film. But having interacted with an octopus, yeah, they actually are quite noisy while they're interacting (laughs) with you because their suction cups do go... Yep. As they come off of you. (laughs) So it really does make a a mac and cheese kind of... Stirring mac and cheese kind of noise when they're doing stuff with their arms out of the water. So not actually that unrealistic of probably what it would sound like. Not too bad. (laughs) Uh, Actually, I think the only other creature we get a glimpse of in the new movie is we we do get to see a skull. Yes, we do get to see a skull. Uh, It wasn't on screen long enough for me to make any paleontological inferences (laughs) about it, um, except that it looks like a dragon skull. Yep. Like a fictional uh, draconic looking cranium yeah because it's it's the remaining head from king Ghidorah, Mm -hmm. which we see at the end of king of the monsters yes and this is being put to use in this film for the the new bad guy yeah so we've got an assortment of creatures but there's also a fair amount of science yeah that makes its way into this movie uh predominantly so the big science concept 
on display in this movie is one that they hinted at back in Skull Island, mm-hmm. and that is the Hollow Earth. Yes, that there's an environment inside Earth at the center. And we've talked before about how this is an idea that goes well back, uh, well over 100 years, not only in fiction, but in some scientific version, mm-hmm. the idea of there being hollow spaces inside the Earth uh, that potentially could be home to things. Yep. There's a lot, you know, Journey to the Center of the Earth is it's the classic, the classic fictional example of we go down, there's a whole new world to be seen down under the surface, which, and, and yeah, there's this trope goes throughout fiction all all oh, yeah. over the place. The, the subterranean dwellers. Yep. The lost world type stuff. The lost world, the uh, land of the lost mm-hmm. type stuff. In this, I think both DC and Marvel have a version of it. <laughs> yes, Marvel's got the Savage Lands. Yep. DC has whatever DC, I can't yep. think of it. This movie goes full force into it. And in this film, we actually travel to the Hollow Earth. We take, there's the guy who knows about the Hollow Earth. Some other guy has built special machines. That are, that they don't say they're made of unobtainium, but one can only assume. Yes, I mean, what else would you make them of? What else could survive? <laughs> and then they travel down to the Hollow Earth, which is supposedly the realm of Kong's ancestors. And is and is supposedly where Titans came from originally. Right. That this is where all of these super strange alien-like creatures came from, and they have traveled to the surface. Yes. And they, so they're leaning into this old, entirely unscientific sci-fi trope. There's also a bit of reference to the Hollow Earth's place in cultural conspiracy. Mm -hmm. So this is also, it's kind of got the flat earth thing going on where it has, because it is a popular in fiction, but not at all realistic concept pseudoscientific concept it's gotten wrapped up in conspiracy and historical stuff uh, i hear it talked about alongside like nazi yep. <laughs> it, 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 missions to explore the ends of the earth kind of thing yeah absolutely and and the version they show of hollow earth is interesting i i, I thought it was unique because they didn't just have that there was another ecosystem a layer down it literally is the core is basically a mini planet inside our planet. Yeah, he says the core powers the hollow earth just like the sun powers the surface, mm-hmm. which is one of those uh, sentences that doesn't make any sense yeah. in the least. No, because they're they're kind of treating it like a different realm. Yeah, like it it, it is fundamentally different than surface world that it, that it truly just is set apart yeah which it never fully is explained but that's definitely how it's treated well and we get to the the end and they make a comment about how godzilla gets to rule the surface and kong gets to rule the hollow Mm -hmm. earth and they keep mentioning the hollow earth as though it's different from the earth yep it's 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 a separate they treat them almost like different dimensions yeah almost well, and, and there are some weird, there's there's lots of weird sci-fi stuff going on in Hollow Earth, because there's the core planet, planetoid, inside our Earth, mm-hmm. and then the surrounding shell that is, that then leads to the, the rest of Earth. Yes. And they've put ecosystems on both sides, yeah. top and bottom, and that there are inverse gravities, one that would stick you down to the, the round planet core part and then one that would stick you to the outer shell part yes so there's two layers of earth down there so they've done this interesting thing where they have taken a concept that has no bearing in real science ignored that part yep and gone full force into let's imagine a crazy fanciful version of this and for what it is, it was pretty cool. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's a cool place. <laughs> it looked pretty cool. It makes zero sense as to how they explain it or how it's supposed to be working, but it looked cool. Yeah. So it was it was an interesting take. Uh, I'd never seen a take on the world beneath like done like this before. Yeah. Uh, which made it interesting and at least set it apart from just being there's a pocket underground where things are alive. Right. 
Another, there's also a little bit of science-y stuff that gets roped in uh, with the animals. Mm -hmm. So as you alluded to early on, a major theme in this movie is the concept of the apex species. The idea that, and this was mentioned in the previous movies, that Godzilla is the apex species. That's their science-y term for king of monsters. Yes, and that Kong is now vying for the title of apex and the bad guy who runs a company called apex (laughs) is trying to prevent humans from not being the apex and it's this and i you know this comes out of the idea of the apex predator yes which is a concept that i think gets often caught in this fanciful monster fight idea i think it does that and it gets conflated with the concept of an alpha yes uh that those two often get because that's what happened in these movies is the term apex is what they're using but they fused that term with the concept of alpha yes which is also a concept that is not what most people understand it to be right i was was gonna say apex and alpha are both not what this is well because oftentimes we talk about alpha and apex as the epitome yeah that is the top of the pyramid the alpha of the pack is the undisputed one in charge. The apex predator is the undisputed one that doesn't have to worry about anything because they are the top predator, which we've discussed on the podcast, both that alphas don't work that way Mm-mm. and that apex predators, st- that just means that they eat the most. Yeah. Like the highest level of the food chain in a sense. Yeah. But you, an apex predator still has to worry about stuff. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's like arguably filter feeding whales could be considered apex predators yeah. because they're eating more than everyone else and they don't typically have to worry about predation. But we don't call them apex predators <laughs> because they don't have big teeth. And I, I think <laughs> apex and alpha get caught in this sort of along the lines of how we monsterify animals. But whenever I hear because uh, I'll see questions online about apex predators in the same areas that I'll see questions about, like, who would win in a fight between yep. a gorilla and a black panther? And it's this assumption that animal life operates under, like, video game it, rules. Like Super Smash Brothers. Like Super mentality. Smash Brothers or comic books, where it's like, it is totally reasonable to ask who would win in a fight between Superman and Captain America or whatever. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they exist in a fictional universe where that's the whole point of them. That's why those characters exist, is to punch other characters. Right. <laughs> but trying to apply that to real animals, you get caught... You run into the issue where, it's like, yeah, but a gorilla and a Black Panther wouldn't fight to yeah, the death exactly. because that's not how animals work because why why fight to the death so this film the the sort of geographical plot is built on this uber fictional sci-fi concept of hollow earth and the animal plot is built on this hyper dramatized fictitious idea of the animal in charge well and, and it's basically the term apex in this film and often when it's misused in the real world is our animal version of saying who's the champion yes who's the heavyweight champion yeah who who wins the world martial arts tournament who gets to wear the belt who gets to wear the crown who gets who's the winner because humans are competitive and (laughs) we like to compete anything we want to know what would win well because it may it's a better movie if godzilla and kong meet each other and then decide that they will fight to the death instead of roaring from a hundred feet away and then one of them walking away. Yeah, exactly. In defeat, which is how animals actually fight most of yeah. the time. It's very few animals out there that really go to blows and just full yeah. knockout battle each other. Now, uh, and we haven't said this yet this episode, so if this is your first ever Silver Screen Science episode, we should clarify. We're not saying that makes it bad. No. We we came to the movie to watch Godzilla and no, King absolutely. Kong I, fight to the death. I knew who I was ro- rooting for. Uh, you were the right one. <laughs> I got in arguments online with people. 
Speaking of which, uh, someone out there is very upset that the two examples I pulled off the top of my head were Superman and Captain America, right. as though that's a contest. <laughs> so apologize to those pedantic nerds. If it makes you feel better for those who got offended, in the Marvel versus DC comics, those were the two that got fused because they were similar characters. So, yeah, so there you go. There Superman is a connection. with a shield. Another, the super soldier was uh, his name. Oh, hey, how about that? Uh, no, the super scout. <laughs> That's what I would call Another little uh, thing that pops up in this movie is this notion. They use the phrase genetic memory. Yes, they do. To suggest that King Kong and Godzilla are ancestrally linked. That that and, and they make a note about how Kong knows Godzilla is his enemy because of their ancestral rivalry. Yeah, it has that it has that um family feud like like ancient you know ancestral feud sort of thing that it's stated multiple times in this film and was alluded to in the last one that there was a war between the kong race species and the godzilla species that there was a ancient rivalry and an ancient uh, combat for supremacy and that even though these are the last two remaining members of that species, it seems, mm-hmm. of those two species, they are both aware of that. Right. The, and they, they say genetic memory. There's a note about Kong being drawn towards his evolutionary origins yep. in the hollow earth. They're playing with this idea of you can inherit knowledge through just being born into a lineage. Yeah, just being what you are. The phrase genetic memory, which is another one that stands out to me because it seems to me to fall into that same line of hollow earth apex species where like genetic memory is a thing that has been talked about in the real world. Absolutely. To allude, for example, to like the fact that there are ways that experiences of a parent can affect the mm-hmm. development of the young or uh, as an allusion to certain instincts. Yes, I've heard it, I've heard it used with instincts very often that that is yeah. technically a form of genetic memory because it's something it's a behavior you're born with, something you right. quote unquote know to do mm-hmm. from birth because it was something evolved in your ancestors. So it in that way, in that sense, is a memory from your genes. Right. But it's not something you know in your head. Right. So this movie, uh, and uh, in a way, the fact that this movie builds so much of its plot on overblown pseudoscientific mm-hmm. versions of almost real life things. On the one hand, yeah, you're taking science from the real world and warping it into all sorts of strange shapes to, as an excuse to have big monster fights. Yeah. And on the other hand, I kind of feel like that is an extremely fitting homage to the fact that that's what these kinds of movies have yeah. done forever. Well, it's like saying that Superman's solar powered. It's like, well, he's n- he's n- not really like, yeah, not because that's not how things that are solar powered work. Right. In the least. But it gets the concept across and it's already such a ridiculous situation that. It doesn't matter that this is also equally ridiculous. Right. And I feel like one of the things that aids it, aids the genetic memory thing for for working with the plot and not just feeling stupid or something like that, is the fact that they also are supernaturally aware. Like, yes. when they say, you know, Kong is aware of, you know, like, Godzilla is aware that Kong is his enemy, you know, because of this ancient rivalry that perceivably neither of them were maybe around for it. Godzilla might have been, but we know Kong wasn't. Yeah. But it's said that if Kong leaves his dome home that he's in at the beginning, Godzilla will immediately seek him out to destroy him. Like yes. will sense yes. somehow that he's out of his room and he's like a, a kid like, touching the thermostat. Like a mom. Yep. Just you I can tell <laughs> that you're not where you're supposed to be and I'm gonna come kill you. And it's <laughs> and they do that a couple of times in the film where the monsters are plopped down somewhere and then become aware of something across the planet. Yeah. And then just start, which they did in King of the Monsters, where they were oh, yeah. chasing each other across continents. Yeah. Godzilla knows that someone has gone to the hollow earth. So there is, and, and part of that wraps into what we were talking about before, that the monsters are also human-ish mm-hmm. in their 
awareness in, in their behavior that they can reason and that they, they understand. If they had said that Kong knows Godzilla is his enemy because he saw pictures of it. Yeah. Growing up, I would have believed that. That's fine. This Kong is very human. Yeah. Very smart. Very uh, 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 cognitive in the way we recognize. So I think scientifically this movie doesn't. I mean, merit in terms of like merit, there is no scientific merit nope. to this movie. Nope. No scientific concept is explored in an interesting way. <laughs> Yeah, that's even really? remotely close to what we could consider is useful educationally. <laughs> Instead, they're built on these often very classic mm-hmm. pseudoscientific interpretations of pop science concepts. Well, I, I even got that feeling with them being able to sense each other across the planet and through the planet, that that was a version of how we often portray animal senses as a superpower. Yes. You know, like... People were often baffled when I would mention that animals can't sense fear because that's always a classic concept that they sense your fear. It's like, well, they don't fear isn't a thing that they sense. They sense the telltale signals Mm -hmm. of fear and apprehension, you know, nervous, not making eye contact. It's the same way we can tell someone's afraid. Right. Is you can sense fear. (laughs) You're just not we don't use a silly phrase like that when we do it. Right. And that I I felt like that was what they were trying to do with their senses is that somehow Godzilla can tell what's going on on the other side of the planet. His senses are just so crazy attuned. We just don't fully. No, it's magic. He's sensing it with Godzilla magic. Yep. T- kaiju Titan magic. That's the only explanation, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, but that it it was building <laughs> off of that. You know, oh, if a person gets animal senses, they're gonna have. It's a superpower. Well, right. But it isn't. That's not quite how it works. So our science is all weird and warped for the movie. And then we've got some scientists. Yes. So we always like to look at how these movies are portraying scientists. The sciencers. And there are, I get really two scientists predominantly in this movie. Yeah. There is the main character, the woman from Iron Man 3. Mm-hmm. Yes. Who is a behavioral She's the one overseeing Kong and has been monitoring and maintaining his habitat like since Skull Island, basically, it sounds right. like. And so, yeah, she's a, like a behavioral specialist for Kong. Yeah. And she doesn't really do much in the way of science stuff. She's it, yeah. just sort of his keeper. And she's, yeah, she's the uh, the Kong whisperer, you know, that she's the one everyone goes to to be like, you know, will this work? And she she's the one that knows how Kong works. And she right. has a... A, a small girl in her care who is actually the Kong Whisperer. Yes, who uh, actually talks to Kong, so, which is another thing they borrow from the real world yeah. in this movie. Spoilers, again, is that, yeah, Kong signs. Yep. He has learned to sign, which is a real world gorilla and other apes thing. Absolutely. And so it it kind of felt like she was our, our kaiju Jane Goodall. Well, she's kind of the um, uh, uh, the rock yeah, yes. from Rampage. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, she's the one that knows the animal. And yeah, she's fine. Yeah, she... As scientists go, she's not particularly tropey. Well, and I, I liked that they showed they showed her knowing him. And I, I felt like they did a good job of... They didn't just have it be like, they are best friends and Kong's basically a person in their relationship. Right, like the rock and Rampage. Exactly. But they they had it to where she was still treating him like an animal, you know, like this is an animal I've observed, but she was also still giving what I thought were actually kind of cool insights here and there of like, no, no, he's not going to do that. That's I've observed him for however many decades. That's he's not going to do that. So we have to figure out something else. Yeah, you can't just get him to do what you want. Mm -hmm. Uh, King Kong doesn't keep schedules. Yes. And so like (laughs) that kind of thing. Uh, So, yeah, I I thought she was it was still all like nonsense mumbo jumbo because she was observing a a fake giant gorilla right but the way they portrayed it felt pretty cool yes so i looked her up since we had to take a short break because a train went by her name in the movie is dr eileen andrews and wikipedia describes her as an anthropological linguist all right so yeah sure that's yeah those are two things that make sense those are two things that are that are real words yep (laughs) uh she uh the actress rebecca hall uh apparently according to wikipedia describes dr eileen andrews as the jane goodall of kong hey so well done and then we've got our other scientist the other main uh, scientific character who is dr nathan lind 
a monarch geologist and chief cartographer, says Wikipedia, played by Alexander Skarsgård, this is the guy they go to for Hollow Earth. Yeah, that's so, like, the, the Apex people are like, this is the expert if we want to go to Hollow Earth. I to, read your book. To get the plot device, we got to go talk to this guy. And he is the quintessential trope of a scientist who has a fringe idea and no one believes They're him. laughed he, out of the scientific community. They put his office in the basement. No, he's got a bunch of copies of his book still because nobody would read it. No one believes him because his science is well outdated and nonsense. And also, of course, he's right. Yeah, 100% right on all counts. The, the, the trope of that, the, the one man, and it is always a one man yep. who has figured it all out, despite it being complete pseudoscientific conspiratorial nonsense. This is, we saw that, we, I mean, we've talked about this, uh, Evolution had a character yeah. who was a bit like this, the guy who was laughed out of all of the, the, the conferences and such, despite being right, mm -hmm. but no one believed him. This guy is that. Yeah. He's the hollow earth guy who turns out to be the main, his scientistness. He is, he is one of the two main scientists in the film. There are no other scientists in the film. Nope. Because he's the only one we need. Yes. Because he is the one who has figured out everything about everything. Yeah. Well, and, and the there were two reasons that this stood out as funny to me. Because one, the the bad guys approach him for his his uh, theory because that their satellites have already discovered that he was correct. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of those where, yeah, because a lot of times the fringe scientist thing is like, oh, oh, oh goodness, we've stumbled upon this thing. We need to find someone who can help us. And someone goes, well, I know one person yeah, the who only knows, guy who believes this stuff. Yeah, who's the only person researching this, so we need to go find them. But this is, hey, you study this, right? And he's like, yep. He's like, all right, well, we've confirmed everything you were saying yeah. with our satellites. Here's a full 3D image of the planet uh, <laughs> showing hollow Earth. Well, and he also has a ton of detailed information about hollow Earth. Yep. That's all correct. Yep. He's like, yeah, this is how you get there. This is what precautions you need to take to get there. It's powered by the core. Well, and the other reason, this is the other reason it was weird to me that they were like, oh, this guy sure has been done wrong by the scientific community, is the reason he knows all this is because of the expeditions Monarch tried to send to the Hollow Earth years ago because Monarch believed it. Yeah. Because we already know that because of Kong Skull Island, where they were going to search for evidence of the Hollow Earth. Yeah. Like... He's not he's not some fringe scientist who's the only one. He's one in a long line of people in these movies. Yeah. Because we also went into part of the tunnels to Hollow Earth in the last film. And I think that this stands as the perfect demonstration of why movies get a character like this. Mm -hmm. Right? Because what a character like this allows you to do is, one have that i think the wikipedia description calls him a reluctant hero yeah right to have the guy where it's like there's only one guy and we got to go talk to him and he's the expert and i don't do that anymore it allows you to have another trope that we have is the scientist who knows everything about everything yep. the exposition machine and and he has to be a lone fringe scientist because then everyone would know all the stuff he knows so he needs to be special yep because of his special knowledge and it allows you to appeal to the conspiratorial mindset yep. that makes a good story. The idea of the character who figured out what they're hiding. And this is a movie franchise that is all about organizations and governments hiding stuff. Oh, yeah. No, one of the other main characters in this film is just a conspiracy theorist. Yes. Who just spouts conspiracies yeah. the, the whole time. The main subplot yes. is just Millie Bobby Brown following a conspiracy theorist on Wacky Adventures Who's right about everything. Yep. Also. So this trope of the fringe scientist who no one believes but has figured everything out is super useful in movie. This is a great demonstration of how it's useful. Mm -hmm. It lets you be conspiratorial. It lets you have your exposition machine. It lets you have a character with a dramatic entrance and who's integral to the plot and who feels special despite being based on a concept 
that basically doesn't exist. Well, it's it's the sci-fi version of doing the chosen one. Yes. It, that's what it is. Is it's for if you're doing fantasy, do you want to make your protagonist special in a simple lazy way? No offense to anything that's used it, but sure, sure. a straightforward they're the chosen one, the universe said so, or this sword said so, or someone said so. This is that version. You're the chosen one cuz only you were smart enough to see the truth through the through the the established science. Right. And and the reason for both of those makes perfect sense cuz <laughs> watching a scientific committee is not as interesting as watching a lone her- hero. Right. Although I do I like to point out that the Martian exists. Yes. So it's possible. Yes. And that's one of those <laughs> perfect films where they flip it and it's great. And this trope, we've talked about this trope, because this isn't just a trope in movies. This is also a trope in the way we talk about scientists in the news. We see this in textbooks. This really appealing idea of the one person who figured everything out, who by themselves had to teach the whole world and change the whole paradigm which is far more myth than reality. Well, it's it's uh, why it always bugs me when Einstein is pointed at as like the smartest person who ever lived. Yeah, on one topic. Yeah, and even then he's building upon yes. <laughs> work done by people before him and at the same time as him. Yes. But we get hooked on this trope of the one special person. Mm-hmm. And this is like boiled to its essence here in this movie. With this Dr. Lind character. And and especially for the fact that it is in the face of the previous films. Yeah. They well, yeah. <laughs> still establish that and still somehow he is the one singled out for this crazy theory. And that's the other thing I was going to say is that this is a great demonstration of how it's useful and how important it was for this movie to have those things. That they were willing to do it in a context where it makes absolutely zero sense yeah. for this person to exist like yep. this. It's because they would have talked to uh, uh, the dad from King of the Monsters. I mean, like, this crazy guy thinks there's a hollow earth. And he's like, oh, you mean the part we blew up? Like, we blew up one of those tunnels. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we know. That's where Godzilla was sleeping, was That's... in a tunnel leading to the hollow earth. We went down there. Yeah. Yeah. One of... In a normal sub. The guy who went down there, his son, question mark, is work, is in the room. Yes. With us right now. That's the guy. Yep. Now, the only other scientist that exists to be spoken of at all, I think, is that there is a scientist character who is on screen for about 60 seconds in the very beginning of King Kong versus Godzilla. (laughs) And he's got like a TV program. He's doing some educational kids program. And he makes a comment about like studies on the origins of life. Mm -hmm. And it's not just like pseudoscience-y movie version of uh, a kind of understanding what the science says. It's that from the 60s. Yes. So it's completely wrong. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and the only part about that guy that I found particularly poignant is that the the plot gets kicked off because the guy in charge of this company is upset that the science program doesn't have high enough ratings. Yes. Which I think is a... Now, now there is some real world commentary. Yep. A little too close to home. (laughs) We need more giant apes on our science programs. Right. And so then he goes out and then like the Discovery Channel would, he goes to Skull Island and he goes, well, let's find us a giant ape. And he drags the giant ape on a raft. Oh, wow. That's way more poignant. These things aren't making high enough ratings. What if we talked about cryptids? Yep. What What if if we went and found one? what What if we started showing people footage of quote-unquote cryptids and then we kidnapped it from its island of native people who manage uh once again in a in an impressive display of understanding your source material the natives on uh, skull island in king kong versus godzilla are also shown in an extremely racist way as culturally insensitive as you can be what good job guys i guess <laughs> Also, one other thing before we forget, we have a piece of information to share with the world. Yeah, a PSA. A PSA for everybody. We watched King Kong vs. Godzilla, and we were astonished to discover upon getting a hold of King Kong vs. Godzilla that though there is an American and a Japanese version of that film, they are not distinctly different 
in contrast to the apparently common trope, common myth. Yeah, the the what we discovered was a myth, but both of us thought was true. Thought was true, and I have said it to tons of people because <laughs> I was careless and I didn't check my my references. Is that this this myth that the American version King Kong wins? And the Japanese version, Godzilla wins. Yeah, evidently, that was referenced in an article about the movie and just said and then got copied by another article source. Yes. And then ran on from there. Yeah, but that's not true. No, not true at all. There are minor differences between the American and Japanese version, but they end the same way. Yep. There is no different winner at the end of them. And we learned this and we were both shocked to discover this. I, I was shocked because I can think of a number of people yep. I've said this to, which means I have Same. misled the world. And so our way of making up for that and balancing the scales is by telling you about it now. Everyone, you should know, <laughs> there are no two secret endings. There are There is no alternate ending to King Kong versus Godzilla. The, the only thing that's different about the ending is the number of roars. Yes, that is true. <laughs> that's it. So uh, hopefully uh, more people certainly listen to this podcast than I have told <laughs> that there are multiple endings of King Kong versus Godzilla. So t- t- spread the word. Tell your family. Undo our wrong. Tell your grandma. Un- yes, yes. Don't make our mistakes. <laughs> Fix what we have wrong. Huh. Anyway, so we've got <laughs> between these two movies, there is plenty to discuss in terms of creature design. Yep. In terms of how science gets sort of what parts of, of real world science get picked and chosen, warped into the well, yeah, film. Because you're using terms that are used in the real world yeah. uh, still, which is something that, you know, often in movies this crazy don't happen where it's like, yeah, you know, like none of the terms in Star Wars do I have to worry about someone misunderstanding being like oh now people are going to think that's how hyperspace works right because yeah that's not a real term right but apex and genetic memory and gravity stuff yeah and even those things that are used in the real world but for wrong reasons like hollow earth Mm -hmm. are being used in this so yeah it's pulling on things from our uh, at least our me me and yours day-to-day conversation (laughs) so that (laughs) it is an interesting example of it now our mission in silver screen science as we say at the top of basically every episode of it is not to nitpick specific bits of scientific inaccuracy to poo-poo on the movie but instead to explore the broad context of science the broader concepts that they're exploring partially because the nitpicky poking at stuff isn't as interesting and fun for us yes and because there's lots of other people who do that already. there's You, you can find a infinite source of that if you're sure. looking for it. But also that's fun to do. Yes, it is. It is fun to pick on little tiny things and get irrationally upset about the incorrect science in films. So at the end of every Silver Screen Science episode, we give ourselves each a couple of minutes for a mini rant. Yes. Where we are allowed to be as upset about scientific nonsense as we want. Will... What would you like to rant about? Sunlight in Hollow Earth. I noticed this too. So they, they talk about the fact that the core is what maintains life down in Hollow Earth. Mm-hmm. And that there is a power source there, similar to the power signature off of Godzilla, mm-hmm. that is is either the core energy or is also a, a thing feeding the life there. But that it is also one of the things maintaining and, and supplying that realm uh, but then they get down there, and there's also light. Yeah, like sunlight. Sunlight. And plants growing off of the sunlight, presumably. Yeah. Because they're all green, yep. like you would expect plants growing off of sunlight to be. And at no point is it explained where that light's coming from. Because the light that comes from the Godzilla power is blue. And the core isn't shown to be, like, bubbling to the surface and causing the light. There's just light. Perfect and amounts of light everywhere. When I was thinking about it, my first thought upon trying to remember those moments was, okay, I guess the light's coming from the core, mm-hmm. like the sun is acting as their sun. But as you mentioned, no, there's earth on both sides. Yep. You can live on the core or on the the outer earth. Yeah. So it's just, the light is just, in, it's like uh, <laughs> cosmic background radiation. Yes, exactly. It's just, there's sunlight 
trapped down there. Yeah, it's they just can't get out. Reflecting off of everything. That's always <laughs> one of my big pet peeves when they're like, we go to this world beneath and you can see what you're doing. So, all right, well, there's one. I, I have a question. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, I, uh, just a couple of things. <laughs> well, my mini rant goes back, is also Hollow Earth related, because of course it is. Yep. We mentioned that they t- go talk to Dr. Lind, the conspiracy one man who knows all the things. And he's like, all right, we're going to go to the core, to the uh, hollow earth. And he, there's a bunch of times where he describes what we're going to have to deal with on the way down. And it's just science word nonsense. Yep. He says, there's going to be a gravity inversion. He says, yes, my brother uh, hit the gravity inversion and was crushed instantly. He says, uh, when they're traveling down there, we're about to be launched a thousand miles in two seconds. What does any of that mean? Yeah. You're just saying words that are kind of dramatic and sciencey. None of that means anything or makes any sense. And there's also the part of me that's like, you know, this is what happened to my brother when he got down there. So how'd you get that report back? Yeah. It's it's the it's the Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> no survivors. And I guess where I wonder where the stories are coming from. Yeah. How do you find well, cause like in the core they can Transmit radio signals yes. yep. to the interior it's they were of the on Earth. a Zoom call the whole time. <laughs> and this this is a trope that... It's funny because some movies go with the premise of we're going to have a bunch of weird kind of science-y things happen, but we're just never going to discuss what's happening, mm-hmm. right? Star Wars does that. Yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy does that. It's like, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff here, but no one ever talks about how this laser gun works or how this laser sword works yeah, or, or the, whatever. Yeah, the science behind how we're jumping across space is not what's important to you. No. And then on the other hand, you have films like Jurassic Park, where like we are going to explain all of the science. We're going to give you a little show and give you all these little details that are going to be almost scientific, yep. just enough to make the movie run. This film is doing the intermediate, where they go, eh, Throw a couple sentences in there. They won't make any sense, but it'll sound like we put in effort to talk about science. It's the Ant-Man approach. Yes. Yep. Where it's, all right, we can shrink you to a small size. This technology shrinks the space between the molecules. Careful. Don't go subatomic. What? Yeah. Huh, what? Huh, what? That, yeah. <laughs> it's like, these are sentences in Godzilla vs. Kong that no one thought about longer than the time it took to write them in the script. But it, the gravity inversion yep. sounds like a thing. A, a thing that people will go that you wouldn't want uh, to happen <laughs> that, yeah exactly <laughs> it's we're gonna be d- d- thrown a thousand miles in two seconds those are numbers yep that sounds like a, a science report well it makes me think of the the rick and morty when they're trying to fix his car and morty goes oh what is it rick the quantum carburetor he goes quantum carburetor morty you can't just put a sci-fi word and a car word next to each other and think and hope it makes sense mm, looks like the miniverse battery is broken <laughs> yeah <laughs> And it's this, and this is another. This is a a language trope that gets done in these movies, and it's all said by Lind, the scientist yep. who knows all the things. When it, it also plays, <laughs> going back to his trope, it also plays into that thing of he knows what they're going to experience, even though no humans ever done it because the last time someone tried to do it, your brother died. Yep. But he knows what's going to happen, which plays off of I feel the the typical perception that scientists understand things that. It seems like there's no way they should be able to understand mm-hmm. that unknowable. Like, how can you know what the moon's going to be like before we get there? It's like, because well, we've been studying it for years in every conceivable way we can. But explaining that when I say what the moon's going to be like right. would take, would be a college course. So I feel like that's how they portray it in film all the time. And it often ends up with really dumb lines. <laughs> So, Godzilla vs. Kong, uh, we were delighted to find how much science-y chit-chat this inspired. More than I, more than I was uh, uh, expecting, to be honest. Same. If you enjoyed this, if you haven't, go check out our previous Silver Screen Science episodes. There will be more Silver Screen Science this year. Mm-hmm. We have plans. Stay tuned for the summer. There will be some fun stuff happening. And if you want to hear us just talk about movies without the science-y parts, head over to Patreon. And if you are a patron uh, at the level to get bonus audio, we will be uploading a more thoughts episode, which means we're just going to 
riff. We're just going to chit-chat. Give you our experience and our opinions. About both of these movies. Yeah. So if that's the kind of thing you're into, go check it out. Thanks for listening. We are happy to have Silver Screen Science going again. Mm -hmm. Like I said, there'll be more later this year. There are other movies in the not-too-distant future, maybe not this year, but certainly next year, that are on our radar. So Silver Screen Science is still alive and strong. Well, if you haven't seen the movie... Well, if you haven't seen the movie, you've been spoiled a whole bunch. Yeah, why? Why did you listen to this? uh, Funnily enough, we have made it through this entire episode without discussing what I would consider the big spoiler. Oh, yes. I was... There was no reason we had to discuss it, so I wasn't no reason to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) So go check it out. It was a lot of fun. If you're into big, dumb monster movies, you'll enjoy it. Uh, And otherwise, we'll see you next time for more Silver Screen Science. Absolutely. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Common Descent Podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and check our WordPress blog for pictures and links after each episode. Huge thanks to our patrons whose support helps keep this podcast running and who get access to bonus goodies on Patreon. The song you're hearing is called On the Origin of Species by Protodome, which we found at ocremix.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us next time.